Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning lovely saunterers, welcome to another lovely saunter. We are in Luke chapter 22 today. We're probably just going to do part of it because it's a big, long chapter. Um, So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words that are all about you, that describe your life and just who you are and the wonderful mysteries that you unfold every single day. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So cool. It's a bit windy, so apologies if there's a bit of noise on the microphone. Um, I thought it's nice outside. So um, just a little footnote to yesterday, we were talking about Luke 21 and the the Jesus's chilling um, predictions about the destruction of Jerusalem, all of which came true and were kind of brutally fulfilled. Good morning, Deepak. And... Just to say that those, there were 1.1 million Jews killed in that um, destruction of Jerusalem and another um, uh, 97,000 taken captive. And uh, it was a really, really terrible tragedy, tragic time. And but what's really interesting is that the Christians who followed Jesus's um, kind of advice or commands to not go down into the house to get their cloak but just to flee most of them survived and very few christians were actually killed in the fall of jerusalem and they fled to a nearby town called pella and they were they were um, largely saved so it's really interesting isn't it that even in that immediate fulfillment of the prophecy of jesus um that was not talking about his final second coming, if you like. There was such an incredible deliverance for those who followed Jesus' instructions. So we're in chapter 22 today, and it says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover, also, sorry, drew near, which is called the Passover, there you go, um, and chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. So they wanted to get rid of Jesus, Um, But they were kind of approaching it with caution, this whole subject, because they were afraid of the people. We said, didn't we, that one of the things that characterized these these um, political leaders was that they were very much in the grip of the fear of man. Although they were very powerful and persuasive and they were bullies, yet they needed popularity to survive. And and they were then very 
cautious about how they um, decided to get rid of Jesus and get him off the scene. Um, verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. And you remember when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness after that, it says he went away for an to, um, until an opportune time. And I'm sure Satan had various attempts at getting rid of Jesus, like when they tried to push him off the cliff and this kind of thing. But this now is his opportune time and this is his moment. And we never read anywhere else in the Bible of Satan taking possession of somebody. But in this instance, it does seem that Satan himself entered Judas. Just like he'd entered that snake in the Garden of Eden, now he enters Judas, one of Jesus's close-knit brotherhood of 12 disciples, uh, 12 apostles, literally... Jesus' kind of most trusted people, Satan enters the heart of Judas. And then it says, verse 4, He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to, uh, betray him to them in the absence of a crowd so Judas is going to look for a sort of quiet moment where Jesus is not surrounded by crowds of people and then he's going to betray him to the chief priests which is horrible nasty and the, the name Judas has become kind of a byword of betrayal hasn't it in our even in modern conversation, in modern parlance, it's become a thing where people talk about, oh, he's a Judas. And and yet Judas was, it's hard to really understand the motivation of Judas. It is surprising and disappointing what people will do for money. And it does seem that Judas was a bit of a money grabber. He had light fingers and had his, his fingers in the purse and was kind of he, although he his job was to look after the money it seems that he helped himself from it um and uh, now this is i it may be there was more than that in judas's motivation it's hard to understand how he could betray this beautiful man jesus just for a few miserable coins um Anyway, so he agreed, and that was, they were, and of course the chief priests and scribes are very glad because they've got their opportunity now. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the, the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. That is amazing. Right, once again, Luke, the scientist, the man of science, is kind of taking great interest in these examples of Jesus knowing stuff. So like on the day when he went into Jerusalem 
on the donkey. He said, you're going to go into uh, the city and you'll find a, a donkey tied up with its colt. Bring the colt. If anyone asks you, say the master has need of it, blah, blah, blah. Once again, Jesus is showing this incredible... Um, it's hard to work out. Is this a word of knowledge? Is he describing... Um, does he just know that this has happened? Is God making a way even as Jesus speaks? Uh, it's it's a fascinating one for me because he says, you're going to see this guy and he's carrying a jar of water and he's going to meet you. Oh man, this is so windy. I'm, this <laughs> I'm really sorry if you're getting lots of noise. He says, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water who will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house the teacher says to you. So it's like, it seems to be all prepared, but Jesus clearly hasn't gone ahead and prepared it. So it's like this wonderful example of Jesus's command over natural um, circumstances and natural events. And although Jesus can kind of make all of this happen he does not choose to stop what is coming up in terms of his betrayal and his crucifixion and I think this is probably something Luke pondered over like how did Jesus know when did he arrange that was this supernatural what's going on and I'm sure some of Luke's medical friends would have would have given him jip about it and saying did you really see that did you how can you know that really happened how can you know jesus didn't you know and all the cynical kind of stuff but we know jesus is the man of miracles he's the miracle worker isn't he so verse 14 um sorry verse 13 and they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the passover of course it was just as he had told them just like the coins in the mouth of the fish and everything else jesus did he is a miracle worker. Verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to stop there. This is a very, very sacred, holy moment. Now, it's really profound what's going on and at this time, at this meal. And we could talk long, long throughout the day about the intricacies and nuances of what's going on here. This is a yearly custom. It's, it's a yearly custom where the... Jewish families would gather around the table together and they would celebrate the Passover meal which was to remind them of their time in slavery and a lot of the things they ate at the meal the bitter herbs and stuff were to remind them of the suffering and the misery of slavery for 400 years but then they um, 
ate this flatbread, unleavened bread. They'd made sure absolutely scrupulously that there was no yeast in the house that could have got into the bread and caused it to rise. So it was very flat and crispy. And then they ate this roast lamb, which the lamb had just been previously sacrificed on behalf of the family. Now, the lamb was um, killed on the day of the Passover when it happened the first time and the blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of the house and as the angel of death went through bringing judgment on Egypt and on the firstborn son of the Egyptians the angel saw the blood on the doorposts and passed over that house. Now this was a meal to celebrate this, it happened every year, still does in Jewish households, lots of Christians celebrate it as well. But Jesus is taking it and filling it with a whole new level of meaning, right? Because always when that lamb was sacrificed, that had been a foreshadowing, a pre, uh, kind of a preview, if you like, of Jesus that he would be the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of Jesus that was shed covers our sin so that God's judgment passes over us. And so the Passover has such a profound relevance for Jews and Christians. And Jesus is now taking it and he's saying, This feast I've desperately desperately long to share it with you and he's saying I'm I want to this is something that's important to me why was it important to him because they were his friends but it's even more important for him because he is establishing something new and so he says to them um, I'm not going to do this again until it's until I do it in the kingdom of God. And we don't really quite know what that means, except that somehow he will be doing it. I think he's talking about like an ultimate fulfillment, but he's also talking about, do you know what? This is this is a significant time. We're not this is not going to be our habit anymore because there's going to become a change. And when I do eat and drink of the um, this this feast again it's going to be when it's ultimately fulfilled in in the in the kingdom of god and so he takes the bread and when he's given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body now this happens all around the world in churches every sunday all around the world people are following out this little this little ceremony this little meal and if you think about it one of, there, it has become very controversial, or it did become very controversial, because within the Catholic Church there was this teaching that this bread and this wine actually physically are transformed into the physical body and blood of Jesus. And the Protestants, Martin, um, sorry, uh, yes, Martin Luther and the other guys who were the reformers, they said this is not true. This bread remains bread. The wine remains wine. It can't be transformed. It's not, it, it's a symbolic thing. It's kind of, but yet Jesus 
we could talk a lot about it, but I think something happens that is more than just we're eating symbols, you know, as in symbolically. Something profound is happening. Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 6, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you've got no part in me. And then he goes on to say, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And somehow... This is really profound and I don't ever want to simplify it ever again. I grew up in a culture where it was just think where everything was just it, this was just a symbolic thing, but I think something deeply profound and mystical happens when we share communion with each other. And although I'm sure the bread remains bread when it's in our mouths and so on and the, the wine remains wine, there, we somehow, in some mystical way, we are indeed taking Jesus into ourselves. Now, this in, listen to this. When the family sat down to have the Passover meal, they ate the flatbread, but they ate the lamb. The lamb that had been sacrificed, they sat down and they ate the lamb. And as they ate the lamb and their body digested it, the lamb literally became part of the family can you get that this is so profound this is so incredible literally the the lamb that they ate at that meal physically became part of their body they then it became part of the protein that they absorbed and, and so on and so on right without getting too technical when jesus hands them this bread he says this is my body. What does he say? He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They took that bread. They ate that bread. I'm sure it was still bread and Jesus was still sat there. They weren't eating Jesus. And yet somehow as they partook, of that meal and they shared that meal with Jesus he was giving himself to them in the most incredible way and as they ate that bread they were it was harking back to the their forefathers who ate the manna in the wilderness and Jesus said I'm the bread of life I'm the one that comes down from heaven this is all about me the lamb is all about me the flatbread's all about me. The whole thing is all about me. And as you eat this meal and continue to do it, you're going to remember me, but you're also going to partake of me on into the future. And so I absolutely agree that the that Holy Communion is deeply profound. It's really significant. And it's something that does somehow unite us with Jesus it, and it unites us with each other. And Paul says we shouldn't do it lightly. We should take it seriously. We should examine our hearts before we come to the table and make sure we're not being flippant about the whole thing. And so he said, do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they'd eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right, this is also so profound. God made the old covenant. It wasn't old until there was a new one. It was the covenant that was 
the disciples and all of the Jewish nation at the time of Jesus were part of and they were under this old covenant, this old agreement. But it wasn't old. It was what there was. It was the covenant between God and his people. And his covenant was that they would be blessed and they would be a blessing and so on and so on. And they would follow his commandments and, and honor him and love him. And he would use them to bless the whole earth. Right, but now Jesus, right there in real time, is saying, this now is the new covenant. Right, who had set up the old covenant? Who had established the old covenant? It was God himself who'd established the old covenant. For Jesus to say, this is the new covenant, he was putting himself on a level with God himself. For those people who struggle with the whole issue of the deity of Jesus. This, once again, is Jesus actually being God and establishing a new covenant with the whole human race and those, those who would receive him, those who would take it on board. So Jesus is saying, listen, this cup now I am establishing in this act, I'm establishing... As my blood is poured out and we're just a, a few short hours away from that event, I am establishing a new covenant in my blood. And so he says, this, covenant, this, is, this cup that is poured out for you, this blood that is poured out, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is, is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. <clears throat> Again, we said yesterday, didn't we? Judas, is, it's horrible that Judas could be just there masquerading at this meal and saying, oh, I wonder who it could be. And they're all looking at each other and saying, I wonder who it could be. And, and one of the other writers says, they go around the table saying, is it I, is it I? Oh my. And Judas knows exactly what he's going to do. And so um, verse 24, it says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But, but, here's the big but, I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is amazing. These disciples, they're in this most holy moment ever. <laughs> you can imagine. Jesus has established this new covenant with them, He's talking about his death as if it's imminent. And, and yet, can you believe it? These guys are still 
debating about who's going to be the greatest. We've already had this with them in Luke's gospel. They've already done it already in chapter 9, I think it was. And now they're at it again. And you can imagine Jesus saying, guys, guys, come on. You still not got it yet. And we see in John's gospel, he tells how Jesus wrapped a towel around himself and began to wash their feet and say, listen, you know, I've served you. I'm, I've served you. I want you to do this to each other. And Jesus says the, the this kingdom is not like the worldly kingdom. He's when he says the Gentiles, it's not like the, the way the world does it. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater? And he's saying, listen, I, it, it is normal for the one who reclines at table in their culture to be served by someone of lesser status, by a servant. And he says, but actually... I'm the one. I've invited you to the table and I'm among you as one who serves. It's so important. It's so key and so crucial in our leadership as pastors, elders in the church that we, we're, we're here to serve people, whatever our role is. And even outside of the church, in, in society, in, in, in business and so on, even if we are the boss of the firm, let us nonetheless serve people. Let's let's help people. Let's be the one who says, listen, can I make you some coffee? Can I, you know, and we, even if we are super important in the company, let us still have that heart of a servant. Let people be able to see Jesus in us, even when we're at work with our suit and tie on or our high heels and pencil skirt or whatever it is you wear to work. Be a servant nonetheless and let God trumpet your greatness rather than you trumpeting it yourself. And oh man, I have been so pained sometimes when I've seen Christian leaders strutting their stuff in and treating people, the small people, with disdain. Let's never do that. Let's never do that. Let us be the one who is among like Jesus, a one among you as one who serves and then he says you stayed with me in my trials and I assigned to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel Jesus is saying guys stop squabbling about who's great you are you already have this incredible future ahead of you where you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel stop it right now <laughs> stop squabbling about who's the greatest listen I'm going to pause there because uh, it's a long chapter and I don't want to rush through it but listen may God bless you and listen when you're sorry I keep saying listen when you're sharing communion next time let the significance of what's going on just really captivate your heart even though you may have done it a hundred times a thousand times in your life even if it's something you do every Sunday in your church let just pause and say Jesus let the significance of this moment captivate my heart once again let me see once again the beauty 
of this simple meal that is a reminder of you but also where I'm literally somehow taking you into myself and partaking in you the Lamb of God oh, who takes away the sin of the world may God bless you everyone and have an absolutely stunning day I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book The Christing it's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him, but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Uh, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much. <laughs>